Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hindley. In this podcast, I share my ongoing experience in becoming an artist through conversations with creatives and by talking about my own art experience. Episode 57, Cars, Coconuts, and Letting Go of Perfection with Franz Vanstone. Welcome, everyone. This episode has been brought to you by listeners, patrons, and friends. I wanted to just quickly talk about some of the stuff I've been working on, and then we'll get right into the interview. So I've been playing a lot more with watercolor. I really think I'm getting the hang of this, or at least enjoying my mistakes a little bit more. I did do a a tractor, which was kind of fun. It's a Kubota tractor, so their uh, color is orange. I don't think I've used that much orange before. It was kind of cool to play around with uh, perspective a little bit, you know, interesting use of colors, um, using, you know, kind of a, um, instead of using black for the wheels, for example, using a different blue. And so uh, it was cool. I did the uh, a sketch and uh, pencil, and then I used my food aid pen from Sailor with the carbon ink, uh, which is a, a waterproof ink. And so I drew it out that way and then brought in some watercolor. And uh, that was kind of cool. I like that. I think I'm going to do a little bit more machinery. This is in prep for that uh, car wreck yard that I'm going to be visiting. I talk about that in the interview as well. And it was uh, I was rained out the last uh, time I was planning to go, but that'll be coming up. So I'm trying to play around with these objects, uh, tractors and cars and motorcycles. I'll be doing some of that in addition to the nature. So um, keep an eye out for my Instagram and my website as I post more of this. So I started a uh, a nature journal. We've noticed kind of a real shortage of bees around our house, and uh, so I took it upon myself to uh, to draw and paint a few. So I've started a page that I think has three bees on it now. I'm going to be adding a couple more, and then I'll post that uh, result as well. That once again, just watercolor, no ink this time. So I'm just using watercolor. I do it uh, kind of a light sketch in pencil using my Graph Gear 1000 and my 2B lead. And then I come at it with uh, some watercolor. And so that's been a, a fun experience. Bees are really hard because they always have this really kind of light edge to them. And doing that on top of uh, white paper is really hard to distinguish. So in one of them, I used a green background. And so it's it's kind of a way for me to, to kind of highlight that edge. I'm going to do that probably with one of the other bees as well. But um, I just love drawing insects. I just think they're so interesting to look at. I used some of these images from Unsplash as the source. I do have some images of bees, but they're, uh, the detail and the kind of the orientation isn't what I was looking for. So I'm trying to draw a few different bees in different kind of angles and, and things like that. I would I think I'd love to do another page of them, but uh, we'll see what happens. So I've been trying these new kind of shorter brushes. I'll talk about them in a future episode. And I also got some new ones over the weekend. And uh, I haven't tried them out yet, but I'll get back to you on that. I'm trying to get something that holds a lot of watercolor, but also still provides a nice uh, bit of detail. I'm thinking more for fur and things like that. If I want to do the edge that hits the white part of the paper, I want to be able to drag that out a bit, not so much for the washes. So I was uh, looking at a few um, brushes around that and... I was also um, really annoyed <laughs> with those barcodes they put on the end of the brush, but I found a solution thanks to someone online, and I do talk about that in the interview. So if you have trouble removing that kind of gluey residue when you pull off a label, uh, check out uh, later in the interview, and I talk about how I solved it, and it worked wonderfully without the extensive use of chemicals. So I'm really happy about that. 
And the other bit I wanted to mention uh, is I started, um, I was at a park and I started drawing birds because that's what I do. And then I started uh, jumping into the rocks and I think I've drawn the, the rocks they were standing on. And I think I drew maybe like 30 different rocks in different orientations. And it's just so funny that, um, you know, you get pulled into these directions and I was more kind of caught up in the texture of the rock and the reflections in the water than I was the actual birds themselves. And I just went with it. And I'm glad I did because I felt, you know, rock number, I think, 27, <laughs> I thought I really nailed. So it was a great experience of kind of uh, just doing that, like looking out and, um, you know, maybe looking for the things that don't always jump out at me, which is, uh, uh, you know, rather than looking for the birds and the kinds of birds I was drawing, I was looking at the uh, the rocks they were on and uh, being pulled into that world and trying to get the subtleties of the shadows and trying to define the texture of one rock versus another. I really uh, thought that was great fun. So uh, I think that's it for updates for the art I've done. So I really wanted to keep it short so that we can get right into this interview. So I think you're really going to love this one. We had a, a great conversation, even though we had to move it because of a thunderstorm. Uh, stay tuned and uh, let's jump into the interview. I discovered my guest this week through one of the many live draws she has done where she shares her skills and her stories. I'm amazed at her ability to quickly draw people through her wonderful Procreate portraits on her iPad, as well as rendering vehicles with her unique style. As an artist with no formal training, she has carried her passion for art through life alongside her full-time job as a French teacher. She even released a book called Sketch to help non-artists find and develop their creative side. To talk about her creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, France Van Stone. Hi, France. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm so glad we were able to do this. Um, we tried doing this a couple of days ago, but there was a big thunderstorm and we were worried about losing power, or, or you were, and yes. we thought, we'll defer it. So I'm so glad we're able to, <laughs> to pull this together. Yes, no storm today, at least just really overcast. If anything, we'll hear rain. That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. So how are you? Uh, I've, I've been wanting to connect with you for some time, and I, I love your Instagram feed and all the live draws you've been doing, and I, I find your work approachable, and I was thinking about the listener of the show, and I was thinking, this is a perfect fit for somebody who's either starting uh, drawing at a young age or start or restarting at an older age, that having a conversation with you would inspire and motivate and leave them with some tricks and approaches that they could use. And um, I'm excited about this. Uh, I don't even, we'll see where this is going to go, but I guarantee by the time we get to the end of this, there's going to be so many actionable items. People are going to be enthralled and, and overjoyed with trying to draw again. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really hope, uh, I, really ho- I really hope people will get inspiration. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So I always like to kind of start with understanding where people come from uh, and, and where their art journey is, because we always look for commonalities between our own journey and others. So I think just exposing this, this part of it is helpful for people because they can say, oh, that's what I did, or there's a connection there. And it provides, I think, a, a, a bit more uh, motivation for people in understanding if, if their path uh, could lead to art, to could, could lead to creativity. So... You know, we all started drawing as kids. Did you feel at some point that you were an artist? No, but I remember as a kid drawing past the age where most of my peers had sort of like stopped. You know what I mean? And other things had taken over in their lives, whether it was 
sports or girls or boys, you know, me, it was still drawing. And while I don't think it, it was the feeling of being an artist, it was more my friends saying things like, oh, wow, you know, you can draw this. Wow, did you draw that? Like, you know, and feeling really um, like getting positive uh, enforcement, you know, and just feeling, oh, my gosh, I, I guess I I guess I draw well. I don't know, you know, and, and then you feel good about yourself for that reason and it, and you just keep doing it. So that's that's how it was for me. You talk about this in your book and we'll talk about the book in detail later, but um, I want to ask you this because I'm curious about what the answer will be. Do you think you were talented? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I absolutely do not. And I know this is not a popular uh, view, um, but I, I've thought about this a lot and... I really do not believe in in talent, at least not in my case at all. Okay, like if we talk about the genius of Mozart, then then we're talking of genius. But talent, um, hopefully, we can you know talk more about this. Mm-hmm. Um, is is a shortcut, I think, for people who see artists make amazing work. For instance, it's a way of saying. Wow, this person has talent, which I don't have. Therefore, I can't do this. Therefore, I'm not even going to try. Right. And to me, it, it says two things. One, that I cannot do it as a spectator. And two, that the person who's doing it is doing it thanks to some God-given, you know, gift that is not hours of work. When we all know, you know this as well as I do as an artist, that it is hours of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if there is such a thing as talent, and this is something I say in my book, is is that you don't see those hours of work as a problem. That's the only talent I have, is viewing those hours that I have spent drawing when I was twelve years old, and you know my friends were going out and stuff. I I I felt that that was actually fun, you know, and that might be the only talent that I have. I, and I'm I'm really serious about this because I I I really I really want to demystify mm-hmm. that you know that aspect. People who say, "Oh, you're doing this with a magic wand. What is the magic? What is the sorcery?" Mm-hmm. There is none because if there is sorcery, artists will never get paid for work, never. Because most people will just think that, "Oh, you can just whip this out in in thirty minutes anyway," because you have that talent. And I think that's a very dangerous place for artists to be put in because once again, we're not taken seriously as workers. Right. We're magicians and therefore, oh, well, if you're a magician, then, you know, you can just, and I think that's, we'll never be paid fairly if people continue thinking of us that way. Yeah. So there's my, think... my thing about talent. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I agree. Like I had another artist on recently as well who fought against this idea of talent when it comes to art, that it really is um, experience. There may be elements that you where you see the world differently, so your perception of things may be different. But upon execution of the art, um, there's no talent necessarily around that. It's just hard work, and it's motivation. And you may be interested in playing soccer, and I may be interested in drawing, and we spend our time differently. And I totally agree with that. I think. And in speaking with him, we talked about this idea, and I think it's absolutely valid because I felt a little bit when I was growing up, when people tell you you're talented as a young kid drawing and you go into art class, are you really going to try hard Mm -hmm. if 
oh, I've got a gift. I'm just going to do this. It was the same thing when I went into um, um, French class because I came from a French family and you know, oh, you, you've got a talent in language. And it turns out I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was just exposed to it. I had more practice at it than others. Um, so I, I think it can be uh, damaging to be, to be putting people up on a pedestal at such a young point in their career, possible career, right, as, a, as an artist, and, and instead leveraging the positives and trying to build on top of that and move them up to a different tier if they need to. But um, I, I 100% agree. When I saw that in your book, it's like, oh, I have to talk to France about that. And I know it makes uh, some people uncomfortable because I think, um, I think we're touching on something almost spiritual here. Um, I think a lot of people need to believe in magic. A lot of people need to believe that there is a superpower that governs certain things like this, you know, um, or you have the gift to be a great cook, or you have to be the gift to, you, you have the gift to be a great artist. There is a need, I know, to, to, to believe in that. But unfortunately, um, I need to fight against that because for, for the reasons that you just said, I think it's more detrimental to the artist than anything else. Right. And so this goes to the point that if you're 50 or 40 or 60 and you want to start, absolutely just start. Just start. Yeah. Absolutely. There is no... Now, of course, there you have to put in the miles. You know, I always say you have to put in the miles because, you know, you mentioned being a soccer player, right? The same thing. There is no such thing as just, you know, being bestowed this, this gift of uh, being able to play like Mbappe or Zidane. But... Um, Obviously, there's hours of muscle memory that needs to be uh, trained because at the end of the day, yes, it's about observing, but it's also about uh, forming a habit with your hand and all these things take time. But I, I truly believe that, yes, you can, you can start this at, uh, at 77, of course. Absolutely. After you finished uh, the lower grades, did you go into art or graphic design or what did you pursue after that? Not at all. Um, the last quote-unquote art class that I had was in seventh grade with Madame Emonier. I remember she was my French teacher, so my language arts teacher. And on the side, once a week, she would give us an hour of art class, which basically boiled down to, um, <laughs> I remember drawing our favorite album covers. Um, and that's the extent of what I had after that, after seventh grade. So basically after I was 12, I had zero exposure to art instruction whatsoever. Um, I didn't have it in high school. It was not offered unless I was going to follow a, an artistic path and then go on to study art in college, which was not my intention. So no, I didn't have any, any instruction. Hmm. And then at the age of 30, when was it? 32? I was 32 when I decided to take evening classes of graphic design at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And that's, that's the closest I've ever gotten to, to taking an art class. Yeah, I think that's the other thing we'll have to talk about too, is, is do you need an art degree? Um, oh, I have opinions about that too. <laughs> so you went, into, um, you went into teaching? Yes. I went okay. into linguistics. I studied English and, okay. uh, and uh, social studies and literature. Um, my parents, being graphic designers themselves, they had a, an advertising agency. 
they sort of deterred me from doing something like that because they felt, oh, you know, she's going to draw pretty flowers. How is she going to make money? You know, so my mom was not really very keen on me pursuing anything like that. So I, cause I wanted to mention the teaching bit because we're going to come back to that um, as okay. we get deeper into this. But uh, so you came into art quite late. Like when, when did you decide, because you're still teaching now, oh, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm, I like you're yeah, teaching French right now. Um, but at some point you decided art is serious for me. And when was that? And how did that happen for you where you decided um, like the light bulb went off and it was like, oh, there's something here that I found and I'm not going (laughs) to tell anyone. It's I'm so proud of it. And uh, like, when did that happen for you? Well, so really, I can almost tell you the month and the year because it was such a watershed moment for me. So July 2006. Um, as I told you, I was taking this, this evening class of graphic design. I had, mind you, always drawn. I had always, um, made portraits and drawn in pencil. And every now and then I would just spend three hours doing a drawing. But then for a month, I wouldn't draw again. It would just be my drawing up until that, that day. I mean, that day, that week in July 2006 was always kind of precious. You know, I would be like, oh, I I really would like to draw Keith Richards. I love this photo. I'm going to draw him. And I would spend hours and, and I would make a portrait. And, and there was something a little ceremonious about the way I drew the, the music had to be right. I had to be alone and just like all these, all these things. And what happened in July upon meeting somebody who was taking the same evening class as I was, Raheli was her name, uh, still is her name. Um, she told me, oh, hey, uh, I, I see you doodle and in class, you should check out this guy, Danny Gregory. He, he wrote a book about how you can just draw the contents of your bag. And that was such a, a good slap in the face when she said that because it had never occurred to me to draw the things around me as opposed to drawing people and portrait and dogs and cats for, you know, commissions, which is what I had been doing all along. But then suddenly here, here comes this artist, Danny Gregory, through his book, The Creative License, telling us, Oh, you know what? Grab, grab that pen and draw it. Put it in front of you and draw it. And you know what? Put uh, a book in front of you and draw it on the same page. It doesn't matter. Just grab any, you know, and just suddenly, it shifted my whole view of what it meant to draw. I was no longer drawing for, you know, portraits and pretty things, mm-hmm. you know, or how to render the, again, going back to Keith Richards, because for me, it's such a, well, he, he's somebody I drew so many times, you know, like challenging myself to draw all these wrinkles and being super realistic and precious and all that. And then I shifted to suddenly being like, you know what? I'm going to draw the, I'm going to try to draw this paper clip. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. A paper clip. Um, because suddenly you're no longer drawing for beauty. You're just drawing for, for the sheer pleasure of trying to translate what you see onto the paper. And no, you're not going to spend two hours on this. It's most likely going to be 15 minutes. And that to me was just such a a weight had gone, you know, had, had had been lifted. And suddenly I was like, well, I can just draw anything then, or at least try to. Mm-hmm. 
And that was it for me that, and, and I started a blog within a couple of weeks of that, um, after getting, uh, Danny Gregory's book. And I put my drawings on my blog. I started drawing the things around me and, and I started this blog wagonized and, and it's been that way ever since. And now what, what I do is a mix of, of that, you know, drawing portraits, but also drawing the, the things around me. I loved flipping through your book. And I think the first, maybe, maybe it's the first drawing. I'm not sure. Oh, it's a first, I think it's the first drawing you have uh, that you've done, but maybe it's the first drawing in the book is a BMW motorcycle. I think it was your dad's. Yes. And it was like, I had a BMW for a few years, a <laughs> motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like, I, I, now I even have to talk to her even more. So and then I saw <laughs> that you did an R60 with, uh, with Alvin. Um, yes, right. Because it was that it was that model that my dad. Well, he had actually three of, of them throughout the years. But yeah, okay. the, the one I drew in my book that I drew when I was I forgot how old actually was the one he called Caroline. That was her name. It was a she, by the way, because une moto en français. <laughs> well, mine was uh, female as well, and I called my bike Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude, how about that? Oh, that's I think great. it's like I think. It has like an it has a, a German meaning of of strong spear or something, and it was a very strong bike. So I thought Gertrude. Yeah, cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's and and back to your point about just drawing what's in front of you. It's so funny you say that because I have so many drawings of coffee cups and my feet. There you <laughs> just, go. There you go. Just, right, sitting on like the right chair, there. and then you've got your yeah, 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 like the yeah. folds of your pants, and then they call these things that. You wouldn't think of drawing if if you were not allowed, and this is what I think I, I I found to be so fantastic about Danny Gregory's book. It's called the Creative License, and it really it, that's exactly what it did for me. It gave me license to to see things totally differently and to want to draw everything. Yeah, I think that's a, a huge challenge with art. It's not a it's not a clear track like it would be if you wanted to be a soccer player. You know, mm-hmm. there was a certain, even, you know, hockey, soccer, whatever the case, there is a ranking system. There are leagues that change with age and skill and so on and so forth. Being an artist, being a creative, it's not always clear, like, with that. And we are always kind of trying to, I'm going to say look for validation, but I think many of us do. Like, is what I'm doing valid art? You know, people who are doing collage, for example, Sometimes, you know, we'll challenge themselves and saying, you know, is this real art or doing digital, which we'll talk about later? Is that real art, right? Um, but I think it's it's not just that. It's expanding the scope just to understand, you know, is it okay not to be a fine artist, you know, as people would define that, and that you're drawing an R60 or a 240Z or something like that, right? Or a dog, like... <laughs> Does it, you know, doing it for the love of it is is something we need to embrace more rather than trying to bucket ourselves into something that's been defined by someone else, right? Absolutely. I think uh, the, the, the questions that you've just brought up are fortunately questions that I've never burdened myself with, wondering whether I'm producing art with a capital A or a lowercase a. Um, I think those come from the noise that we hear a lot, either from art school or things that are really so external. And I never was, I think, I don't want to say contaminated, but yeah, contaminated by that noise. And so for me, I drew without really wondering whether 
first of all, whether I was an artist, I never really thought I was. And it never bothered me to not consider myself an artist. I just draw, you know, I just draw, period. That's cool. So you started a blog. Were you doing that to share your work or to help others? Like, was there a transition from one, one to the other? It was to share my work and not really knowing who would see it, frankly. But with, within weeks, I had connected with people who also had a blog. Back in 2006, you know, it was really the way uh, to share our, our work and to, to communicate. You know, we had those like, uh, those feeds that, that would like feed us every day what everybody posted on their blog and, and I got to meet people like this and it was really extraordinary to, to share and make comments about their work and having them make comments about mine. So it had nothing. There was no didactic intention. It was just to, just to share and just to put it out there and see, um, if there were other people doing the challenges. Cause one of the things that happened around that time was along the lines of Danny Gregory, Gregory's book. There were these uh, everyday matters challenges and um, there would be a list of things to make. Everyday matter challenge one, draw a shoe. Everyday matters challenge two, draw the faucet of your bathroom. And that really got me into a groove. And then I would find other people would draw the same items on the, on the list. And that was a great way to motivate ourselves. When did you feel that you needed to instruct people like uh, you know and and we'll get to the book a bit later but when did you feel that you could get to a point where you could say i think i have knowledge that i could transfer did you that didn't uh that really didn't come from me because i again that's kind of like the curse of of not being a trained artist is that i never i never really had you know the the proper the proper training the proper language the jargon all the things so i never I never thought that I could, you know, I don't have an art degree. So, but then when further down the line, you know, when Danny Gregory invited me to uh, be part of one of his books, I felt, oh, wow. So I can be considered maybe somebody that people can look, look at the art and say, oh, I want to maybe learn from that. And it kind of grew from there. So can I ask you, where does Wagonized come from? <laughs> so I, you know, as a kid, uh, I grew up in, uh, in, in France in a town where Peugeot uh, factories were, like the, the, the mother ship, <laughs> mother <laughs> plant uh, was started there in that hometown. And I lived literally steps from the gates of, of the factory. I was my, yeah, I, I was always surrounded by these cars. It was a car town. Um, I would see these new Peugeot cars roll out of the factory before they were available on the market. You know, they would take them around town and, and I, I was always interested in cars. I was very much of a tomboy to begin with. So, may, you know, I, I didn't play with dolls when I was a kid. I played with Legos and cars. So cars were always, um, like really important, like the car design. I didn't care about the way an engine worked, but the design of a car was really important. And there were around the time that I was, I was starting to, to really draw a lot when I was like 10 or 12. We started seeing a lot of these Volvos on the road, although 
I was in a Peugeot town, so, you know, driving a Volvo was like a big no-no, but <laughs> you could, you know, you could see a lot of different cars where I come from. And I loved those Volvo wagons. They were just extraordinary to me, these wagons. And I've always thought that I was so in love with these wagon cars, whether it's Volvo, some, some of them Mercedes, some of them uh, Peugeot, actually, that I am so into them that I'm totally wagonized. So I just, <laughs> that's it. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm wagonized. I, I love the wagonized version of a car, usually. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. It all makes sense now, because that's your Instagram as well, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, and I love looking at your feed, because it's such a nice mix of portraits and cars. And uh, I, I had guessed one a while back, but... Um, I got it way wrong because I think it was a Peugeot, and I was—I think I guessed it was a Gremlin. Did you say no? A Javelin, maybe. Oh, interesting. Was it a Gremlin or a Javelin? I don't remember, but it looked very similar, and I was thinking, oh wow, I got to work on this because I always thought I was a car guy, but I don't know. Yeah, my... but living in North America, there's no way you could—you know—you could spot a Peugeot two hundred five. They were never exported. Into... Right. Everywhere else in the world, yes, but not North America. Yeah, I. I, once you told me, I kind of let myself down easily, and and I was like, it's 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 okay. <laughs> of course, oh my gosh, of course. Um, yeah, so uh, let's talk about, you know, maybe we can talk now about the idea of of you know this journey of being you know self taught versus going to an art school, mm-hmm. uh, because I think a lot of people are faced with that. I think I think it is a much better place now because people don't necessarily have to go to an art school as much as signing up for classes so that you can do stuff online and that's available to us and it's robust and there's community and there's um, critique and all of that around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would love to hear your opinion on on self-taught with a mix of online versus going to a school as a teacher. Uh, And and I know you're not a fine art teacher, but you would have that you would have that uh, construct behind you. So what, what do you, what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I really have strong opinions about, especially in, in the United States, about having to, to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a degree in 2021, knowing that knowledge is so available online. I think the, the college system in the United States, while it can be excellent, it's also a big racket. And I'm faced myself as a parent, parent of a 12-year-old now, really, really struggling uh, with that because I would not want my daughter to go to a four-year uh, social camp to acquire knowledge that maybe she would have access to for much cheaper. So I, I would be one to say that, no, you don't need a college degree, but at the same time... <laughs> Who am I to speak? I've never done it. You know, I've never had an art degree. So how can I, you know, sit here and say, well, you cannot benefit from learning the techniques of charcoal and oil and gouache and, you know, uh, uh, cutting, you know, these, these, uh, cutting things to, to print. I forgot what it's called, but, um, all, all these techniques that I've never had access to that I sort of had, to figure out by myself. And honestly, I'm not a painter. I never learned to, to paint. So, you know, it's hard for me to just say you shouldn't do it. But at the same time, knowing how much it costs and the debt 
that people go into, at least here in the US, um, in Canada, things might be different. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, it, it's hard to say, oh yeah, you really do need to shed $45,000 a year uh, to learn these skills. I, I, I can't say that. I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, I don't know if I know enough about the difference in the systems. Like my, my oldest just finished her first year university. And, you know, she's at home doing it, right? Um, actually, she did, she did it all online. But, um, you know, I think tuition was was 8000 10000 I think if she was on site the whole year would maybe be twenty twenty five thousand. 25000 okay. And she's in a science degree, uh, which is not something I would encourage people to do online <laughs> and not get a degree <laughs> if you want to go into science because there is an academic track with that. Because art's hard. Art is a passion. Like, you know, you could be passionate about science. I'm not disagreeing with that. But even at my age, when I decided I'm going to start selling my prints, I was like, what if I don't sell any? Does that mean <laughs> my passion is wrong? But to go to leave university with, it really is about the debt. I mean, I've heard people complain that, you know, you're doing work for your instructors, you're not doing work for yourself, and so on and so forth. But if you abstract that out of it it really is the money and that that does become a big challenge i've heard people talk about you know they, they get a fine art degree and they end up with a debt of 250 grand or something and i'm thinking what there, there is no you start out in life being paralyzed by debt crippled and uh i i just i can't i can't get behind that mm-hmm. yeah, of course 250. coming yeah go ahead I was just going to say 250,000 is like 600,000 Canadian. So it's, it's a mortgage. It's a, it's an entire mortgage. It's a, it's a house. It's insane. It's insane. I, I don't think we can in 2021 with the access to knowledge that we have with so many classes that so many colleges put online for free with the database of knowledge that we have. I truly hope it is going to make colleges rethink um, the price that they charge for, because I mean, honestly, you know, a year at Penn State, for instance, Pennsylvania State here, you pay, yes, you pay for your tuition, but you pay for those heated pools and all these rec, uh, you know, um, facilities that, that they are now attracted students with. And, and honestly, I think that's absolute uh, BS. I, I think uh, college, has, as I said earlier, has become such a racket. Yeah. I, I think that, and, and I don't know what's in a full degree because I don't have one, um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of artists could do with not just the training around, you know, the skills and creating the art, but the training around running a business and being an entrepreneur. And I'm not sure that's covered. Well no, enough, it's not. Sense. And I'm, I'm so glad you say that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I That's have a, 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 an excellent example of this. Um, someone I know in, in Canada um, from the Moncton area in, in New Brunswick uh, was telling me about how a friend of his who taught art at maybe it was Mount Allison University, I'm not sure, um, uh, kind of laughing off the fact that he had... Uh, trained all these artists in fine arts, but these artists have absolutely zero knowledge of what to do on the business end of their art. And I find that to be criminal, to absolutely be criminal, to be an, an artist teaching a, a young population of people to, to draw well, 
but not giving them the the arsenal that it takes to parlay that art into a living. And I think I think it is missing from what I understand. It is very much missing from art schools. Art professors are not concerned with whether you're going to make a living out of that. That's not their concern. Their concern is to keep their job and to continue teaching you how to, you know, I don't know, crosshatch. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fired up about these. Yeah, it seems like you're sitting on a fence there. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you when you said that, but it, it just totally triggered that, that memory mm. of this, this art professor who could care less about whether his, his graduates were going to uh, survive with this art degree or not. Yep. He had kept his job. He couldn't, you know, that wasn't his problem. And this happens in other, like I spoke with uh, a doctor I know who's, who works in neuroscience. I mean, she did her first degree. I can't recall what it was in. I think it was in um, physiotherapy. And she wanted to be able to, to finish her first degree with a job. So she went instead of of going into you know typical medicine where you automatically go into academic. She wanted to have a job when she was done, and I think maybe as creatives we need to be more uh, creative in how we get to a point where we're creating art. In that maybe uh, the choice is maybe a business degree or business classes, and doing the creative stuff on the side is maybe a more interesting journey. Um, and gives us a good framework to be successful as a person, as a creative, if you plan on selling your work. And I say that because I think some people who do it for fun, I think the business conversation for those people is toxic. I think that you have people who just do it for fun and there's others who come in and it's like, no, like, are people interested? Are they clicking on it? Are they, are you selling your stuff? It's like, oh, I don't care. I, I just want to create because it's fun. So I think at some, some points, I think those two groups need to sit in separate rooms and have different conversations uh, because I see this happening a lot where people who are doing business and doing well push stuff aside because it's not selling. And uh, there's another group who just want to express themselves. And I think uh, we just need to embrace both. I agree wholeheartedly with that. I have a student um, who just graduated from my the high school where I work. She she was in my French class, and uh, she's an amazing artist. A truly, in my opinion, one of you know one of the best that I've seen throughout the past you know twenty six years. Those are few and far between. She's one of them, and um, she is going to college to study business. And while it shocked me at first, I so respect her, her decision because while she's going to get that business degree, she's hopefully not going to stop doing art. That's what I told her. I said, don't you dare stop, you know? <laughs> um, but that's, I guess where I'm going with that is that she is going to have tools that I think unfortunately are considered uh, quote unquote, you know, dirty in the art world, you know, oh my gosh, making money. That's so capitalist. Like who does that? You know, well, guess what? When you have to pay the rent, you have to find a way to live off of it. And there is no way around trying to be, to be business smart, period. And there's no shame in it. And, and I, and I go back to the fact that I'm a worker. I'm not a magician. I was not, again, you know, bestowed this gift of uh, art. And for that reason, I, 
you know, I need to be paid a fair price. I think that's so cool that you have a student that is taking that that route. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I respect her so much. Tell her not to stop. <laughs> exactly. Because at the end of the day, the art will always be there. This is what happened to me. You know, I went into linguistics. I studied literature, social studies, and got my teaching degree. And I never stopped drawing it because it was such part of me that you can't stop. That's cool. The other way around hmm, seems to be less likely. Yes. So let's, um, I see that you're holding, I think, a big pen. So let's move into tools. Because <laughs> uh, I want to kind of explore that a little bit because everybody's, you know, when you when you talk to another artist within the first 10 minutes, if especially if you're in the same medium, it's like, what pencil are you using? What paper do you like? That's the first conversation. And I think we need to embrace that. I know a lot of people don't like talking about it, but I think it's fun to do. And so we'll talk about analog as well as digital. So mm-hmm. at this point in time, what do you like to start with as a matter of doing your drawings? And do you transition? Like, do you go from pencil to ink? And um, I, I see a lot of big pen work. Um, so talk a little bit about what you're doing and why you do it and kind of the mediums you're playing with. So for me, pencil is rarely the first stage of a, a, a pen drawing. Pencil is is not usually the underdrawing for, you know, going into ink. It happens sometimes. Don't get me wrong, I've done it. But I use both. I use both pencil and pen. And when I draw in pencil, it's usually to do a pencil drawing. And when I draw in pen, it's to start straight in pen and to do a pen drawing. Sometimes when I want things to, to look good or if I do a commission and where, you know, making it look really good is the goal, then yes, drawing in pencil and then going into ink or inking later makes more sense. But other than that, for me, these two, pencil and ink, are just my go-to um, uh, pens. That's it. That's that's what I do. And when you're inking, you use a, a, you know, a blue or a red big pen. Is that your preferred? Or? So when I ink, if I do start in pencil underneath, I will never ink in ballpoint pen over right. that. It will usually be with a Pigma, Micron, 05 or 08. That's usually what goes over any, any trace of, uh, of pencil. But if I start in pen itself, I can start with a Pigma. But recently I, I have just loved the way these big pens they're ballpoint pens, what uh, I guess in Great Britain is referred to as a biro pen. Um, it's just basically the, the best. It's cheap. Everybody can get their hands on one. You don't have to have an art store. Thank gosh I don't have to have an art store nearby because I don't. The closest art store that I have to where I live is an hour. And yeah, it's an hour from here. Um, so my supplies are things that I can find on Amazon, but also right here at the office, uh, supply store in town. So I have now, right now, uh, you know, mid 2021, a huge proclivity for these ballpoint pens, partly because you can get your hands on them. They're cheap, which means that whatever you produce with them, with them, is not because they're an extraordinary uh, tool. It's what you make with that 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 matters, you know. And and I think that's another myth that we need to you know dispel is is the fact that with great tools comes great work. 
Well, yeah, I guess to an extent it's true. You know, you were talking about splurging a little bit on that $25 brush because you know that the bristles on that brush have something that maybe were you to spend $4, you wouldn't have had the same quality. No doubt about it. And it's true that if these pens cost $20 each, I would still buy them because that's what I like. So I don't buy them just because they're 30 cents each. You know what I mean? But the fact that they can be turned into an extraordinary tool is, is to me, that's the stuff that's, you know, it's like going, you know, starting a workout. It's like, oh, I have to have a gym membership and I have to have the special, you know, the special clothes. No, you can just go for a good hike, you know, and it costs nothing. I 100% agree. I've always talked about, you know, when I get back into a restaurant, the first thing I'm going to do is order the kids menu because it's paper and you get a crayon set. <laughs> and I want to play with that. Yes, <laughs> I exactly. Done that forever. Oh, I think that's yeah. There are restaurants out there. Um there's a chain here in in um in the US called Bonefish Grill. And what I love about that restaurant, I haven't been since before the pandemic, but they have these instead of a of um what is it called? Tablecloth or just the table, they just roll out a huge piece of paper and they cut it. And so you eat on this white paper. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. When you wait for your food, you get out your pen, which, Mike, you would agree, you carry around with you at all times, uh, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you draw. Yeah, oh yeah. It's not the yeah. most social thing, though, when you go out with, you know, your family and you're like in your little corner drawing. But by now, they know. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're drawing them, you know, they'll encourage you and stuff like that. It's, exactly. Yeah. I, I wanted to, yeah, so before we start recording, I was talking about visiting an art store yesterday, which I hadn't done in, I think, 16 months. But I wanted to mention this quick tip because the thing I, I mean, I love buying pens and, and brushes and things like that, but they always have the, the silly UPC sticky label they put on. Look, I, I, have, I have that right there on my big pen. There we go. Stuff. So tell me, Mike, what do you do to get rid of that <laughs> annoying, pesky, sticky stuff that remains afterwards? Yeah, because I have, you know, I have a um, an old, or not an old, a two millimeter uh, Stadler here mm-hmm. that I've used forever, and it still has its little oh. sticky thing. Um, and I just left it on because I don't like the sticky residue. But I found, that <laughs> use coconut oil. All you do is you take coconut oil, rub it against the residue. So peel the label off and then rub coconut oil against the residue and it removes it. And I did this on four brushes and it's like... I did not know this. I feel like I could go change the world now because <laughs> sticky residue is awful. So, uh, so ladies yeah. and gentlemen, know that you can send your uh, your brushes and pens with the sticky residue, and for a small <laughs> charge, uh, Mike will remove it for you with coconut oil. But I have a question about this. Seriously, Mike, do you use a paper towel? To put the coconut, uh, you know, like how do you actually apply the coconut oil? Is it with a Q-tip or? Well, so, uh, <laughs> so this is my approach. I was I used a paper towel and I dipped it in the coconut oil container gotcha. and then I rubbed it on, and I had to do four. So that seemed a little bit slow. And we don't really use the coconut oil for cooking. So then all I did is I dipped the end of the brush in the coconut oil. <laughs> oh, okay. And, well, there you go. And I just coated it. And um, you just and then all you had to do was wipe it off. Well, you have to rub it like fairly vigorously, sure. um, and then I washed it with soap to get rid of the smell, which isn't a bad smell anyway. Mm. But uh, 
it, I was I was so stoked because people were suggesting WD forty and Gugon and all this, and I saw once again on YouTube, uh, the University of the Modern Age. Um, TikTok somebody, too, as you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Um, so yeah, I I was I'm I'm so happy that because uh, I didn't want to use something. Uh, caustic or damaging to uh, a brand new brush that I bought and I wanted something with a really fine tip for some of the watercolor I'm exploring and I didn't want to leave that silly barcode on my pencil or my uh, brush Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I I totally get it yeah so there (laughs) (laughs) I told you my approach to um, to getting rid of these things is to use nail polish remover but unfortunately they tend to cloud the plastic of anything so it's never a great uh, a great thing even on a on a cheap pen i don't like the the, the cloudy plastic yeah try this i, I don't so if, if it doesn't work for you i am sorry <laughs> to, to the person <laughs> listening but it worked for me on three br- or four brushes so i think it's foolproof by now i think you you convinced <laughs> us you know, and it's so funny you mentioned the Bic and, and um, the ballpoint pens because I had, um, I don't know if you know Robert Bateman, but he's a famous Canadian artist. He's, I think, 90 or 91 years old now. And I wanted to know what he used when he went out sketching. And I was expecting him to say some kind of pencil, but he uses a Bic pen. And I was like, wow, I was just blown away by that. And I, I really do admire people who do that. Uh, yourself included, going straight to ink, whether it is an ink pen or a ballpoint pen, the, you know, giving giving error a chance to exist within your work rather than, you know, erasing it or tapping twice on a screen. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a liberating experience. It causes you to kind of like, Fine. I, f- I put the headlight of the vehicle the wrong way, so I'm going to change the perspective a little bit because I can still I still can, or I'm going to add some trim that wasn't there, or whatever the case. What's your comment on using ink that way? Well, simply accept, uh, you know, everything you said, and also accepting that. Oh, guess what? I really messed this one up. Let's draw another one right next to it. And to me, that that is crucial to to growth because if you, for example, draw in a sketchbook, right? Like I have a moleskin right here next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and your goal is to make this sketchbook a sketchbook that is worth flipping through uh, with every page, you know, telling a narrative with a, you know, like Instagram worthy, you know. Um, I think to me, it's a very dangerous approach because... It really paralyzes you and, and makes you uh, want to do perfect things. When in fact, uh, if I were to flip through any of my moleskins, you would see that there's at least, maybe not 50%, but close of the material in my moleskins that is absolutely uh, a failure. It, it's, it doesn't work. It's not good. It's, it's not something that I would want to show other than to illustrate what a mistake is. Um, and that really is what tackling things in pen does is just forcing you to accept that what you're drawing is not for, again, for exposure to show it later. It's just to learn how to draw it. And if learning how to draw it min- means that you're going to make a mistake, that's one thing, you know. And another thing about drawing in pen, instead of having that death grip of, you know, perfection right from the beginning, 
you tackle things a lot l looser because that's what the pen does for me. I start things a lot loosely. Like, for example, I don't know if you can, your listeners will not see this, but you will. Mm -hmm. I have all these were, were made in pen. What I'm showing here is just a bunch of cars. And the way that I start, as you can see, it's got construction lines that mm -hmm. are still visible. But that's the thing. You just let it be visible because it doesn't matter. You know, you, you let the, 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 the scaffold is still there. And, yeah, and that the edges to me, are a bit fuzzy. Like there's yeah. no, it's not clear and clean. It's, it's got a little right. bit of vibrance almost to it, right? Oh yeah. Forget about cleanliness. I, I really, there is a time and place for it. Don't get me wrong. If somebody mm -hmm. tells me, can you draw my granddaughter? Of course, I'm going to try to make a very clean, uh, portrait, you know, and perfection and resemblance will be, uh, the goal. But when I draw for myself, I have learned that it should be everything but that. So can I ask you a question about pencils? Yeah. Because I saw this in your book. And once again, a lot of what we're talking about is in your book. And um, I, I do really good show notes. I recommend if you're listening to this, check out the show <laughs> notes because everything that France, France and I talk about will be in the show notes. But as a person who uses a 0.3 millimeter 2B mechanical pencil a lot, do you still use a 0.9? Because I, yes. I was like, hmm, I'm not sure <laughs> I've ever used a 0.9. Yes, that's um, all I've I use. I've used a two, mil two millimeter, but I've not used a 0.9. And is that what you still prefer? And, and why do you like a 0.9? Um, because while it's thin, this is one of my mechan mechanical pencils. Mm -hmm. While it's thin, um, it does not break as easily as a 0.5 or a 0.7. It's just a little sturdier and you can like really apply pressure on it without risking um, breaking it every single time. Every I have three uh, mechanical pencil um, holders, you know, in my in my little mm -hmm. uh, pencil case, pencil case. That's what it's called. Exactly. And they're all uh, 0.9. Uh, they're okay. those Japanese Pentel uh, because, again, if you use it a little bit slanted, it offers a little bit of a white stroke, but not too much. And if you flip it just a tiny bit, then you're back to a super thin. Um, you, you don't have to sharpen these things ever. And yes. uh, it's the most versatile tool, in my opinion. Yeah, I um, I use Pentel. I, oh, there you go. Yeah, I use the Graph Gear uh, 1000, and then I have it loaded with different LEDs. Um, what is your preferred lead in, in, if you're going to a 0.9, is it, is it a 2B or do yes, you go? Yes, it is a yeah. 2B. Okay. Um, I have HB, I have a lot of HB because they, that's what they sell, uh, the most. So this is an HB here in its, uh, little holster, but mm -hmm. otherwise I use a lot of, uh, 2B. I also have a 2H for when I just want a very preliminary, this is my 2H pencil holder. When I want a, a very rough preliminary sketch. Um, that I often use, for example, when I do these live drawings on Instagram uh, with Alvin, um, I, I start with something very light that barely shows on camera, unfortunately. And then mm -hmm. I go either into pen after that or with the 2B lead. I also have a blue lead. Um, you've probably noticed here. Mm -hmm. This is a blue Pentel and that is very cool. I have a pen, a pen holder, a uh, mechanical pencil just for that. It's actually my blue one somewhere. I'm sorry, I'm making probably annoying noise, but this is it. So this one is navy blue because it holds my blue, uh, my blue lead, which is kind of cool. It's uh, 
Do you use that when you do ink over? No, not at no? all. I just okay. I just have it um, just because a, f- a friend of mine, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Liz Steele. Yes. She is a, uh, well, she was an architect um, in uh, Australia. And uh, she is the one who told me about uh, drawing in blue at first and then drawing over it. But once I drew in blue, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm not putting anything over that. I think it's really <laughs> cool. So I carry it around just just so that I have that blue, you know, colored pencil at hand. That's cool. Um, I love hearing about tools. And, and w- mm-hmm. so what's your f- preferred paper? Is it a moleskin sketchbook or is it? Yeah, I think a, a lot of times, but it all depends on what I want. Um, if I want a very smooth, extremely smooth surface, yes, I'm going to gravitate towards uh, the moleskin. And of course, there's the practicality of it, the fact that you can carry it around, you throw it in your in your bag, and it always has a hard cover, which is easy mm-hmm. to draw in. So that's great. Any um, any sketchbook like this will be my friend. But I also have loose paper that is Bristol. So it's, it's cardboardy, you know, it's pretty yep. thick, but it's vellum, which means there's a little bit of texture to that Bristol. And that to me is the best. I apologize, but I'm going to show you so that you can see it. This is from uh, Blick Art Supplies. So okay. again, an art store that is far away from me, but I'll make the trip. Um, and this is Vellum uh, Bristol. So while it is Bristol, it just has a little bit of grab, just enough that I think it is the best for um, ballpoint pen. Okay. Because while the moleskin is super smooth, the problem with smooth is it doesn't grab right. and um, it, it really just glides. So you, you're actually approaching the drawing with a, you know, you have you actually have to slow down a little bit and, and not hold the pen the same way. You have to sort right. of hold the pen more sideways so that it grabs the side as opposed to just the tip. Yeah, I agree. The, the moleskin is, it doesn't have a lot of tooth to it. Not I mean, at it's all, It's got a yeah. bit of a, a yellow look to it versus, and, and I use a, a Strathmore Bristol like if I'm doing a, a commissioned piece or a larger piece, uh, for sure. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. <laughs> now, you also do a lot of work in Procreate. Yes. And <laughs> has that, um, like, so maybe at the outset, what is, what's the percentage of work that you're doing in Procreate versus analog? Hmm. It really, I, I go back and forth. Um, I, I go through periods where I will draw exclusively on the screen. And then realize, oh, you know what? I have this uh, this newsprint paper, which is what I have right now in front of me. Um, you know, newsprint is uh, is very uh, cheap, and um, sometimes I miss the texture of that, or the miss I miss the Bristol. So I there's not really um, a rule for me. Um, I go back and forth, and and you you probably know by now from probably seeing my work on Instagram, I, while I do draw a lot on Procreate, I really probably use 0.5% of Procreate's capacities because I still treat it like a piece of paper. I don't use layers. I just use one layer and I, I draw on the screen as if it were a piece of paper. So you're probably wondering, well, then why do you spend, you know, $1,200 on a, on an iPad <laughs> just to treat it like a piece of paper? It's because in in my life, in you know, when I want to draw in the evening and I just want to sh- sit on my couch as opposed to being in my workspace, 
uh, with the proper lighting. It might be later in the evening, the lighting is not ideal, and it's later at night, but I want a hard surface to, to draw on, and that surface is lit. And there's something so convenient about that, that mm -hmm. I, I tend to, if I draw elsewhere than in my workspace, I will most likely draw on my iPad on Procreate. It's a practicality thing, really. And are you going through a bunch of brushes or once again, it's it's like one or two or? Um, I do go through a bunch. I have to say that uh, this is one of the things I love the most about carrying around an iPad is that you don't carry around your whole, you know, your whole thing of supplies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do use, I would say on rotation, uh, five different brushes, perhaps six depending on what I want to achieve. If, if I want a more like a pencil uh, look, I'm going to go with this, the native 6B uh, pencil from Procreate, mm -hmm. or I'm going to gravitate towards uh, the, the brushes that Georg uh, makes. I, I don't know if you saw, but in my, in my bio on Instagram, I have a link of, um, of brushes that he made that I love and that he named after, you know, uh, after me. So it's kind of cool that, I have all my brushes in one pack that Georg made and they're amazing. They're just great because I don't know how to make a brush. I don't want to spend time doing that. And the fact that Georg out there in Germany has made all these cool brushes is like such a, a gift. Yeah. And I'll provide a link directly to those. You oh, that'd be great. To it from, your, uh, from your site, but I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. They're, um, I love Procreate. I do, I do the same thing. I kind of, I can't stop doing procreate i can't stop doing graphite but i love playing in the middle too and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it, it is one of those things where it's like oh i've been drawn because i haven't really drawn procreate much in the last two weeks i've been doing a lot of watercolor but now i'm now i'm i, I have to go back to it so probably in the next week i'm going to do a few things i have to say mike for me i have learned more from drawing on procreate than i would have had i just drawn on paper because Procreate has allowed me to take risks that, first of all, you know, when you take a risk on Procreate, you're not using paper, you're not using ink, you're just, it's just another file on, on the iPad. And it, there's something really freeing about that. There's something really also freeing about just grabbing an iPad and drawing. There is no prep, there is no setup. Set there is no, oh, what tool am I going to use? It's right there. And that to me, that, that little bit of prep sometimes that it takes to start something. And you would know because you paint with watercolor, you know, that it takes a little bit of, okay, I have to get my watercolors out. I have to get my water, my da da da. All this is sometimes just enough to deter someone from creating. And for me, if we can reduce that, that gap to the max, Mm -hmm. um, then you have no reason not to create. And, and for me, the iPad has been amazing for that purpose. You grab it, you grab a canvas, and you're, and you're good to go. Right. And that's and huge. You, and, and that's what I was going to ask you is, is, do you think there are skills that move back and forth between them? So as yes. you said, you know, being like going from digital to analog, do you think it also works the other way? Like, yes, I, 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 I do believe that for me, Procreate taught me color. I, I would not have known anything about color if I had only learned with uh, just watercolor, the little bit of watercolor that I use. Um, for me, it had, it has definitely taught me to, uh, to mix colors in a way that then I was able to apply to watercolor. 
So, yeah, amen to that. I think it's an amazing, you know, a, a lot of people think that it's, again, you know, oh, if, if you're not drawing an analog, then you're not a real artist. Um, I, I disagree with that so deeply. I think that whatever it takes for you to do a drawing, whether you have an undo button or an eraser, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter. I, I have to ask this because I think it's so funny when I do it. Do you ever spend, you know, a fair bit of time on Procreate and then you go back to a pencil and paper and do you ever tap on the paper with two fingers because you made a mistake? You know what? I never tapped, but I've done this. I have pinched out. Oh my gosh, I felt like <laughs> such a... Oh, geez. I have done this on a piece of paper, yes. How about that? And just thinking, did I just do that? Yeah. Wow. But yeah, the, the double tap, I, maybe because um, I don't use the double tap, the, the undo button as much as I zoom in and out when I, when I draw and procreate. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but I do use the undo button. I'm not saying, hey, guys, if you, if you use an undo button, you're not a real artist. Right. No, not at all. But. So when you're creating, uh, are you always doing it for you? Or are you, I mean, you've got a, a large following on Instagram. Are you mindful about... I haven't posted in a couple of days or this is an Instagram piece. Like, does that play into it now that you have another audience beyond yourself? That's a good question. Um, because that's, that's really, that's really dangerous. What, what is dangerous is the following and what people like and what they are mo more likely to, to like. If it's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to, once you have a following and once you know what gets the views, because the algorithm is what it is, for some reason, there are things that will always get more exposure than others. Unfortunately, as, as an artist, you're going to be tempted to, to feed that beast, you know, and to say, oh my gosh, oh wow, this thing got 30,000 views. It means, you know, I'm doing something right. So I'm going to do it again. And you do it again and it gets 50,000 views and you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, cool. Okay. But the other side of that is, is that unfortunately it would probably put you in that, that category. For example, for a while I was doing a lot of just cross hatching and the cross hatching videos were getting a lot of, uh, you know, good feedback. And then I thought, is that, what I am? Am I just like a crosshatcher? Is that all I do then? You know, and, and I really had to step back and rethink, well, no, I kind of want to learn more things. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do other things that don't necessarily show me, you know, crosshatch, but you really have to be careful not to just feed the beast. That's, I think, what I'm trying to say, because otherwise you're just going to be this one trick pony. Right. Do you feel that, because I saw, I don't know if it was this week or last week, but uh, the head of Instagram came out and said that, you know, basically we're not a photo sharing app, we're a video app. Do you think, and, and I, I, I'm really anxious to hear your answer because you had a blog where you shared your art and now your blog is Instagram. What is your feeling about artists embracing and, you know, putting all their work on Instagram, do you think we need to be mindful about posting to our website? What do you think is the relevant strategy now for an artist who wants to share and develop a following? That's a good point. So, yes, it's true that my blog um, actually, well, I just closed it last week. 
because now I am building a website. So I am, as I'm speaking to you, Mike, I am in the process of totally revamping my website and having actually a wagonize.com, which is not going to be, you know, the user interface that we know as a blog. It's going to be a website. But right now it's true that Instagram is my quote unquote, like landing page. This is what people see the most. But from Instagram now, once my, uh, uh, my website is ready to roll, then the website will be uh, where where everything's at. Now, I truly believe that, yes, social media is important. I, I refuse to, to be on Facebook. Um, I, I absolutely despise Facebook, and it's bad enough that they own Instagram. Um, so I'm very wary about putting all my eggs in that basket, in that Instagram basket, because while, yeah, there's a big following and blah, 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 um, what if for whatever reason tomorrow, um, there is something that I'm, that's going to happen, that's going to make Instagram no longer the platform that I want to use, which is what happened with Facebook. Two, two and a half years ago, I decided to, to leave Facebook, uh, for those reasons. And, so yeah, I don't have any exposure on Facebook and that's fine. But I think that's why having a website is really important. I think at the end of the day, you know, when you give your card to someone, it can have your Instagram ID, but I think having mm. a, a website is where you can sell prints, uh, is where you can, sh- you know, showcase your work. You can have a blog part of the website if you want. I think that's crucial crucial i think relying on zuckerberg for everything is a dangerous path period yeah i agree um you know when i post my work some people may not realize this but you know i posted to instagram i posted to twitter i posted to a service i use called micro.blog which is kind of like twitter but not like there's no way to to like things so it abstracts that away from it um and the nice thing about micro.blog is it's not expensive um it started by a brilliant guy down in the u.s um and you can have it post to Twitter for you. But the thing I like with it is I can feed it directly into my WordPress website. So if you go to my website, you will see my entries for micro.blog. Mm-hmm. So it posts it there for me. Oh, that's good. And so it is, my wife always laughs at me because when I finish a piece, I've got to like post it. So it's like I got three or four or five places and I'm like, give me 10 minutes. <laughs> but it gets everywhere. And I love that the, the fact that you're revamping your website and, and turning this around because I think that, especially as creators, we need to own our content. Have your own domain, own your content, don't rely on these platforms. I agree. They will disappear. And um, I think that's the best thing that we can do is ensure that we have an archive of our work. Our work. And I, I think, you know, to your point about a blog, you know, having the narrative around your work, building the story, handing part of the story over to the person who could buy a print from you, you're selling your piece. You're, you're explaining what motivated you, where it came from, the challenges you may have had. That's something they can buy, not just a physical piece, they're buying part of the story. And uh, I think as artists, we need to do more of that. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. Yeah. And I think it's it's unfortunate because I wish that Instagram would pay creators like TikTok does, like YouTube does. Instagram doesn't hold up the creator as much as those two other platforms do. And some people may hate TikTok, but they do reward content creation. 
Um, and so does YouTube. And, you know, yes, they do have a slightly different model, but ultimately, you know, YouTube and, and Facebook are based on ad sales. Um, but I just, I really don't like Instagram not, you know, they generate billions of dollars of revenue. They have 400 employees and they can't be bothered to, you know, uh, pay creators to create content. So, you know, they think... Well, I recently got this... Uh, I don't know if you, you're getting the same thing on your on your Instagram, but I've recently gotten a push towards doing something like that, which is, oh, um, you can make money off of your videos. And then when you go into the terms, um, it, first of all, it's very opaque how much percentage uh, the creator gets. So that alone made me... You know, I looked into it and then I thought, no... Um, so I backed off immediately, but, um, th there is this new thing that they're trying to do now with, uh, through videos. But again, uh, you know, as, as artists, we're going to get the, uh, you know, the small percentage end of the profit. And I'm not interested in that. Right. Right. I, I, I almost wish that the, uh, I feel like there's an opportunity for a creative platform that, maybe somebody's working on now, maybe we need to create one. I don't know, but I think that there's, there's so many of us creatives out there that are savvy, that are producing wonderful work that need a better way to share it and better way for, for it to be consumed. I, I've tried a couple and once again, they get into a whole ranking system and number of likes. And that's what I like about micro.blog is you can follow people. Uh, you can't see who they follow. Um, uh, you don't know how many people follow you and you don't know how many people like your work. No, and just something to be said about that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you seemed interested. So I will send you details. About I, uh, that I wrote it down the moment you said micro dot blog. I, I wrote it down. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a clever idea. So let's get into your book, Sketch. So why did you write the book? <laughs> I really never thought that I would be writing a book ever. But um, it's because uh, it was proposed uh, to me by the publisher. They approached me. Um, first of all, I thought it was a joke. So when I got the first email, I didn't respond. I thought there's no way. There's, there's no way Penguin Random House is emailing me right now. That's like a, a bad joke from my husband's ex-wife or something. Like really, I really thought, no, I'm not kidding. I really did really? not respond to that email. Um, and I let it go. And um they sent me another email a week later. Hey, um, did you get a chance to read our email about blah, blah, blah? And then at that point, I talked to my husband about it. And I said, look, that, look at this email. I mean, really? And he did the thing that I didn't think of doing because he's smarter than me in so many ways. Um, he Googled the person who sent me the email, which I had not thought of doing. Um, I was just, you know, dismissing it. And he said, no, that's that's Random House. You need to email them back. And that's how it started, you know. And uh, so they offered me, uh, you know, the, the they made this this proposal for for a book. And, and all I basically had to, to do was come up with the content of the book. Like, how was I going to present a book that would inspire people to draw? And that was the premise. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean... The, the, the subtitle of the book is it's the non-artist's guide to inspiration technique and drawing daily life. And I love it because I, I just got it a week ago and I've, I've gone through it and 
I'm telling you, like if if you're if you can hear our voices and you are thinking about drawing, you have to buy this book. <laughs> I mean, I would probably list probably four or five others, but this would be you've got to get this book. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I mean, the the, the word non-artist was a uh, was something that we really had to discuss because it, it is a way to again demystify this idea that in order to make art, you have to be an artist and. And I never considered myself an artist. And I think that by saying, look, it's the non-artist because you don't have to start by being an artist in order to create art, period. And and showing up at the page is more important. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, you tell a lovely story about yourself at the beginning and then you go through um, various techniques and, and, you know, the tools you're using. Uh, you do talk about apps, which are still around. <laughs> yes. Well, not well, brushes, not so much, I, I, I'm afraid. But yeah, Procreate and Paper are still the two apps that I use to draw on a yeah. daily basis. Yeah, paper was came... bought. Do, do you remember Paper by 53? Yes. Got bought by WeTransfer, but it's still mm -hmm. an amazing tool. And I'm really glad that they really didn't touch the, the quality of the, the original quality of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's very simple. Um, it's wonderful to use. The other one is Linnea. Uh, which is very similar to paper. And uh, and then you have a series of prompts at the back, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is brilliant. Um, one for each letter of the alphabet. So so if you did another book, what do you think you would do differently, like around the prep and all this? Because so many people think about creating books um, either around their art or using their art to tell a story as like, like a comic book or a graphic novel. What What do you think, what lesson could you share about doing this with other people? Huh, I... If anything, and it, the ideal book for me, and this is something that I don't know exists, but the ideal book, especially when it comes to drawing and showing a little bit of technique, right? Because obviously the book that I've written is about technique, but not entirely. This is not a technical book. This is not just an how to draw book. Um, but there needs to be some technical aspect. And if I were to really create the ideal book, it would be a book that is, you know, a paper, you know, hard, hardcover book, but one where you could just type in a little code and then it would show a video to show how, how it gets done. I know it's, it's terrible, yeah. but for me, if you really want to see somebody draw, you have to see them do it. You have to see the way they hold the pen or the pencil. And, and while in my book, I, I did draw my own hand holding the, the pencil in two different ways. It's still, in my opinion, a little limiting. And with all the digital content that we have access to through YouTube, Vimeo, and all these channels, uh, even Instagram, you know, when you want to watch a little uh, drawing tutorial or TikTok, um, they show things that really a book just falls short, you know? Right. And especially when it comes to, you know, drawing, I can't, maybe cooking is the same way, I'm not sure, but really you have to see the way the hand moves and the way the pen is held or the brush is held. And to me, if I were to have my way, I would draw, I would make a book with the, the, the explanations, black on white, but also, okay, now go to this video and then come back. I know mm. it's not very book-like, huh? but that's that's how I... That would be fun. I imagine it. So I was going to ask you, um, what about audio and video? And you've done that, though. 
<laughs> you have done some instruction and mm-hmm. um that's through is it sketchbook school is that right so i did a lot of work with uh sketchbook school and and uh sketchy but uh that was through them um i you know in the future i'm going to um produce my own content that's about as far as i can say about that that's okay <laughs> but yeah yeah a lot of a lot of work on the table that'll be exciting to see i've um i've started putting together my first um, class. I think I'm going to do it on Skillshare. Uh-huh. So, so maybe I'll ask you this question because I, I have the answer in my head for myself, but I wanted to ask you, do you think you are a better artist when you can teach it? Not necessarily, but I'll say this, that having to teach something definitely forces you to understand how you do it. Because the thing about again, being self-taught, right? Not having that, that uh, formal training and not having the, the exact terms to explain what I do. I have not, up until uh, making videos, I have never thought of how I was doing things. I was cross-hatching for years before I knew it was called cross-hatching. I did not know it was a technique. And then one day, you know, someone with an art degree was like, oh, that's nice cross-hatching. I'm like, oh, that's, I guess that's what it's called. <laughs> and seriously, that's, you know, then I suddenly, having to teach made me more conscious of, oh, this is really how I hold my pen. Oh, this is how I, I pull the lines towards me. I, it would not have occurred to me to be conscious of these things had I not had to teach. It's interesting you talk about holding the pen because the way my my oldest uh, daughter holds a pen is very different than me. Mm. And I look at it and I think, I can't, I couldn't draw like that. How are you holding it like that? And it, you know, and when I, when I saw your, um, uh, your book, it, it made me think again about this whole idea about what is, what is the right way to hold a pen or a pencil or whatever the case. And Maybe it's, there's no single that's way right. to do it, right? The yeah. only thing that you can do wrong, and that's my, my own personal opinion, is grip it too tightly. Mm-hmm. You know, the death grip I was talking about earlier. Yes. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a creativity killer right there. You have to stay loose. You have to just, you know, I see people hold their pen very far in, you know, on the pen, and some people hold it much closer to to the tip. It doesn't really matter. But I, I do know that when when you give yourself some room on the pen, when you hold mm-hmm. it a little further, you're really loosening up. Right. And it seems silly, but it's it's one of those things that wow, that's really true. When I hold it further further out, it's actually looser. My hand and my whole being, you know, it's just looser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. There's that. So I wanted to get to asking about the, the live draws you've been doing as well. And because mm-hmm. I've seen you do quite a few of them now. And how do you like that? Do you like drawing in real time in front of an audience? I love it. I absolutely love the the interaction while I draw. Um, I'm one of these people. I remember Liz Steele and I were talking about that when we met years ago in New York City. We both of us were so chatty while while drawing, and so many people had gathered around us, and we didn't mind. We were like just like chatting away and chatting with people, and people were asking questions, and 
it works with my personality. I know that not everybody likes drawing and chatting at the same time. I like it. Um, I, I love talking while I, while I draw. I, that's usually how I, uh, I spend my evenings, you know, talking to friends on, on FaceTime and I'm drawing away as I'm, I'm talking to them. Um, so a live drawing is a great opportunity to, to really show in live how, how you do it and, and it's free and people can draw along and chat with you. Like all these level of, all these levels of interaction are precious to me. That's a, a real gift, in my opinion, that we can, yeah, we can give to people. It's just, hey, do you want to want to sit around? I'm going to draw now. And I would have loved to have witnessed that when I was a kid, you know, seeing my favorite artists and just looking at them draw. Yeah, I agree. It is. Um, it's been so fun watching you uh, do that. I did one with an artist, um, I think about two weeks ago, and uh, it was so fun because we did completely, he was inking a piece. And I was doing watercolor. And but so were was, you drawing the same subject? Nope. Ah, it was completely okay. different. And that was kind of freaky because he was drawing uh, a landscape. Um, he does a lot of like Tolkien kind of hobbit uh, castles and that kind of work. And I was drawing, I was painting a uh, blue heron. So completely different. And that was kind of fun. I think it would be it would be fun to do what Alvin does, um, mm-hmm. you know, where you where you have a, the same piece and you render it differently. I think that's kind of fun because people can see the differences. But I think just hearing two artists talk about their craft and their tools and the challenges and yeah. just what happened yesterday. I know. I, I agree. It's it is so much fun. The only thing that I find um, to be almost um, you know too bad is. We do this a lot on, on Instagram, right? Alvin and me. And uh, the screen is so small on Instagram that I really don't know how much people get out of it. I wish we could find a bigger platform and maybe it'll be YouTube one day. I'm not sure. Maybe Alvin and I will work it out where we leave we leave Instagram, we leave this tiny format and we actually do it so that people can see it bigger on the screen. I, I think that if you flip your your phone and you have two two people drawing side by side on on a video it might be showing a little better than the low quality of Instagram. I'm not sure, but um, I, I find that it ends up being fair. Yeah, I I would agree. I know that um, I signed up for the there's a service called Haps.tv that I know a lot of artists use, um, especially if they want to collaborate and, and kind mm-hmm. of do something together. You can have two, three, four people. And I think that something that would work on a desktop that scales, like Haps, like YouTube, is better. Because even if you watch Instagram on your desktop, it's really not going to get that much bigger. I think it's those areas where YouTube could do better. Or not YouTube, Instagram could do better mm-hmm. in kind of promoting creators um, that do that kind of work. And I would agree. I, I think it's fun watching a live draw, live paint, whatever the case. It's fun participating in them. And, uh, you know, seeing the questions come up and have it be completely interactive, it's it's good. I think the interactivity is important, and that's what's hard sometimes, is watching the comments. Oh, yeah. it's You have to sometimes, you know, say, look, put your comments on the side, which is not possible on Instagram. That's another drawback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say on YouTube, you know, uh, put your comments up or let's keep 10 minutes at the end for the comments or something like this. And right. and there still can be a great deal of interaction. If if anything, 
among the people themselves who are, you know, watching your video, but they're like, oh, hey, you're here, you know, they recognize each other. And so that can be really cool. The, the problem with Instagram, it's, it's a vertical app. And, and, and it's just the verticality of it just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of keeps us hostage of that format. Yeah, it's, um, it's been fun. I hope you do, you're you going to do more of it. I'm going to try and do more of it as, as well. And um, I will try I to make... attend one of yours. I really, I really would like that. Well, I, th- I think it would be fun. I mean, if you, if you, um, I've talked about this with other artists as well. Like if you want to do one together at some point, I think that would be kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah um, you know, I, I would be quite okay if it was circled around, if it was uh, focused on vehicles. <laughs> Is that true? Well, then, then maybe maybe that's what we need to do. I would love that. Yeah. You know where I'm going? I've talked about this in the podcast, but it rained last week. But you know where I'm going? There is a place called The Boneyard in Ontario. And it is an old car graveyard, like where, where cars were dropped off. And, and so what like they're not active it's not like a, a demolition site or anything it, like they're not active now but there's all these cars like um they're stacked or no they're not stacked they're just sitting out in fields so you've got trees growing around them and bushes and all that and uh, photographers go here with models and they have the models sit on the cars and that and get these really interesting pictures i'll send you a link for it and uh it's I spoke to them because they have a lot of photographers going. It's like, I want to go paint your cars. It's like, what? You want to what? So I explained it to them. It's like, we've never had anyone do that. So I'm going to go and take a bunch of pictures, but I'm going to sit and paint and uh, draw and paint these uh, these cars. So I've been practicing. That's why I did uh, a car and a tractor and all this is I'm trying to work on those ah, objects. That's so cool. Uh, so are they all very like um, very rusty and, you know, yes. missing parts? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, they're very, um, they're all just in this kind of shape, some of like the windows are smashed and missing a wheel and, and you know, there's like 19, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, like. Gosh. And yeah. can you still recognize the, the cars oh, yeah. or are they so far in, in disrepair that? No, you can, uh, you can recognize what they are and, you know, there's newer models as well, but I've never been and they're like, just tell us when you want to come and we'll do it. And I had to cancel because it was pouring rain. Oh, that's a shame. But so it's uh, not too far from where you are in Ontario. It's actually closer to the U.S. border, so I have actually got to drive about an hour south. So it's right um, near Prescott, which is on the uh, the U.S. border. Is uh, that right? Border. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's not too far from you. <laughs> it's closer to you, um, uh, not closer to you than me, but it's closer to you being an hour south of me. So yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah that would be maybe a four hour, maybe. F- four-hour drive for me maybe five because it's a little bit west they were on the news that's how i found them but there's one of the cars that's supposed to be possessed so you're not supposed to touch the car or anything like that (laughs) i wonder if it's like an old uh what was the car in the christine movie oh yeah Uh, i don't uh i I don't remember that that was a good movie yes there was another car too that was possessed um it was a black car i think it was called the car (laughs) really yeah and it was uh not a Stephen King story, though. No, it wasn't a Stephen King. It was much older. And mm. it was, I think it was called The Car, and it was this black car that went around, and I think it killed people, and you never see who, you never see who the driver is. Cool. I love yeah. these kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, it would be fun to do a, a live draw. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk back and forth. And yeah. uh, if we do do that, just um, you know, follow uh, France and myself through Instagram, and if we do one, we'll, we'll do it through there probably. Um, but, right. Uh, yeah, for sure fine. announce it anyways. 
Yes, that, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm down for that. That's cool. So I wanted to, uh, I always uh, kind of get to the end of the podcast and I always like people to have an action item, something they could take away and try and do. And so I always ask for a bit of homework uh, for them. And I'm wondering what homework you would have for the listener. <laughs> so um, for me, you know, not everybody is into uh, drawing faces or drawing cars or drawing the things that I love drawing, you know, hands, anatomy and things like this. But we all have everyday objects around us. And what I would ask anyone to do would be uh, to draw their mug of coffee or their mug of tea um, or anything like this, maybe a glass. But the twist is that um, you would have to not just draw it once, but draw it several times on the page so that you can play with angles if you want to. And especially the most important part is that you don't try to make one perfect mug. You just do a bunch of them and expect a lot of imperfection. I really love that approach. Because <laughs> I, I, have, I have some sketchbooks and I have so many drawings of coffee mugs and a lot more of my feet. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you sit down with a sketchbook, you put your feet up and it's like, what am I going to draw? Huh. Oh, this is the first thing you see. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, look at those. They're here again. (laughs) Right. They follow me everywhere. Um, Yeah. So uh, what a great idea. The idea of doing it uh, like a few times, I think, is is really helpful. I think um, for sure I'm going to take that away and and try that because I, I do agree that. And it's 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 so silly. I mean, you talked about we talked about talent, right? And. Some maybe the talent is is discovering that drawing something more than once <laughs> is is a talent that we can develop. And I, I don't realize until I do, let's say, a chickadee twice or three times that well, the third one's better than the first one. Exactly, because you have given yourself the license, right? You have given yourself the license to to actually learn instead of producing. Uh, you know, a chick or a, a mug. Uh, because at the end of the day, I know it sounds like such a cliche, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm here to learn. Like I want to learn how to render the light on this mug and how to render the angle. And I can't do that if I'm going to say, well, today I'm going to draw a mug and I'm going to put it on Instagram afterwards. No, that page that you start needs to be a page that is going to be scrap paper, that is going to be informal, and it needs to be done with the approach of, well, it's going to take a few tries and let's see which one looks the best. And if 10 times is it, then 10 times is it. If, if, if it's 15, then I would say that's even better. Hmm. And different sizes of each, you know, and you just turn your paper around so that maybe you're going to have one in this direction. And for me, that's crucial. That's that's drawing. I think I may have inadvertently done that because I, I have a sketch. It's a moleskin sketchbook. And... I got to the point where I was really confident in my graphite that I was devoting, you know, you open a book, there's two pages. I was always devoting the right side of the page for the work. And I probably still will do that, especially with graphite, because you end up, I if know, you push smearing. too hard. It, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was doing kind of really finished works and it, I think it was okay, but I got to a point where it was like, I'm not doing that on this page. And so I started drawing seagulls because I was at a park and I was seagulls on rocks. But what's so funny is... I kind of let the seagulls alone and I started drawing the rocks. 
And so really, it's a page of rocks with these little wireframes of seagulls on top. And I was just really enamored with the rock and the texture and the reflection on the water that I that I drew like, I don't know, probably 25 rocks across a few pages. And I realized when I got to the end is I'm really nailing how to draw a rock here. Like and it's, it's as simple go. as a rock, right? Um, so if you don't have that coffee mug on your desk and, you know, you're out at a park, like, you know, it, it, I really love the conscious effort to do something that's in front of you and to do it multiple times. I think that's brilliant. Great homework for us. Oh, I, I hope uh, I hope you can, uh, you know, th- those of you who are listening, that you can really enjoy uh, doing this as you do it, because that's that's the thing. It's liberating because you allow yourself to make mistakes, mm-hmm. um, but you're going to get something out of it because after 10 or 15, you're going to have a pretty good grasp on how to draw a mug and how the light is going to affect it and... You're going to make decisions that you didn't know you had to make. And oh, what an exploration. It's that to me, that's what it's all about. So, France, where do you see yourself like three years from now? What kind of projects? What would you what would you like to be seeing the future self, your future self doing? So I think that I am at, at kind of a crossroads right now where while I'm still uh, teaching what I've been teaching for 26 years, which is uh, French in public schools, uh, while I could totally see myself still uh, doing that, I really would like for art to be more of a source of income towards my retirement. Let's put it this way. I know it's not very glamorous to put it this way, but to really be able to say, since you asked in three years, to be able to say, hey, you know what, maybe in five years I can, you know, leave uh, teaching, which will be right around the time that I'm going to be able to retire anyway, mm-hmm. but really uh, not just sit and do nothing, but have art occupy my life, like really just be just basically prepare for that to happen, for art to fill my my days. That's what I would like. That would be cool. So, yeah, it would be, right? So that's kind of the the direction in which I'm going and, and uh, trying to be uh, as self-sufficient as I can in that in that journey. Yeah, I um, I hope to do the same. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, cause I, I don't think that I'm ever going to stop creating, but I'll definitely stop doing my full-time job at some point. There you go. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause when I, when I did speak to Robert Bateman, Bateman, who was, um, near 90 at the time, I asked him, I said, do you ever retire? Do you think you'll ever retire? And he laughed at me. Mm-hmm. I'm an artist. I'm going to retire. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly right. Because once you, you find the thing, you know what they say here in the U S once you, uh, you love what you do. You you don't work another day in your life, right? Or something like this. Yeah. And it's true that if you if you make art your living, now the risk, of course, and this is something I'm very aware of, is once you turn that into your main activity, does it turn into a job? I I don't know. I I would hope not because you would be the only one setting the rules anyway. Right. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. 
Yeah, and I think the the fear I've always had is if you turn it into a job or a business and the business doesn't do well, does it mean like does it mean that you're a bad artist? Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you keep having the conversation with yourself and with other creatives, uh, the advantage is we can morph over time. Mm-hmm. So it may be that selling prints isn't what we'd be doing. We should be doing um, Skillshare classes, mm-hmm. or should we should be doing in person um, training? Uh, you know, or, or you know, doing larger or workshops events. or right yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah cool i really enjoyed this time i wanted to ask where people can find you what's the easiest way to find you online for us well right now because we are where we are um you know in the middle of 2021 i can't say that my website is up because it's not but there is going to be a wagonize.com that is going to be looking very different than what it is right now right now it's more or less of a links page Mm-hmm. that you can find on Instagram too. But on Instagram, I'm Wagonized, W-A-G-O-N-I-Z-E-D. And uh, that's how you can find me online. Cool. So I will link uh, I will link to both because uh, Wagonized does provide some additional links out, which is kind of helpful. And mm-hmm. I'll provide yes. a link directly to those Procreate brushes as well. Exactly, because that's one of the links that, uh, that you can see on Wagonized.com now, but... That's yeah. awesome. I look forward to the new website as well. That should be cool. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not building it myself. So that's why it's going to be, you know, it's going to look nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, France. I really uh, enjoyed speaking with you. I did too. I very much did, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, this has been fun. I feel like uh, I'm probably going to do some drawing or painting before I edit the podcast. I feel enthusiastic about creating now. So um, people can find your book. I'll link directly to Sketch. Uh, I did speak to a visual effects artist this week who wanted to start drawing. And I was like, I know a book and I know a podcast. <laughs> Check it out Monday. So um, I, I'm I'm so enthusiastic. I'm so glad you shared your journey and you continue to do that. You continue to do the live draws. Love seeing your work, and I so I know so many other people do, and uh, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time out with the thunderstorm and everything to be on this podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, and I look forward to uh, uh, sitting live with you, Mike, one of these days, hopefully in the near future, and uh, drawing a car. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or maybe several cars. Several cars would we'll be fun. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, that whole idea of uh, if you have to draw it more than once, then maybe you come up with... Uh, with one of them looking somewhat satisfactory. <laughs> yeah, we can both do your, your homework together. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah, why not? Cool. Okay, thank you so much, Ross. Have a good day. Okay, thank you, Mike. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Show notes, including links to everything Franz and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 57. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.